Hello, everyone, and welcome to the spooky Halloween episode 104 of the Malthouse Games podcast. My name is Delton. I will be your host today, and with me, as usual, is my yellow player and lovely wife, Haley. Today, I'm spooky Haley. She is spooky Haley. I am spooky Delton. This is a a spooky podcast. Because it's going to release on Halloween, All Hallows' Eve, the Devil's Day. It is releasing on the spookiest day of the year. By the time the end of October 31st happens, I will have watched at minimum 31 horror movies. I need, we're recording this on the 30th, I need two more. And so... We're going to watch one tonight with Jen, Wynn, and Cody. Definitely. And then tomorrow, I believe we decided on The Exorcist for the first time. We did. So we'll finally get to finish out Halloween and also see a movie that both of our parents ingrained in our brains to never view. What was it, like episode six or seven that we talked about? Uh, our histories with the exorcist and like yeah. you were raised without religion. I was raised in a very religious environment. And both of our families were like, do not watch the exorcist. You will bring evil upon the household. And I've been terrified of it, even though I, I, I'm secular, like I'm not superstitious, but still I'm a little stitious. You're a little stitious. I'm a little stitious about the exorcist. Well, I think something to be said as well is that it's not necessarily that I was raised in a religious list household. I was rela- raised without organized religion. My I guess mo- that's true. You know, there's still spirituality in my mother and things like that. So I think that that's something to be said. That's why. So it wasn't like, you know, just completely different. But it was in terms of uh, organized things and uh, traditional things. And see, I was raised Catholic. So I was raised that if you watch The Exorcist, you are literally inviting Satan to dinner. He's going to be joining you on the couch, stealing your popcorn and your soul. So do not watch The Exorcist. So... Next time, if I log into the podcast, I have a deeper voice and I sound like I've been eating goat's blood all afternoon. You know why? That's ex- eating goat's blood? Eating goat's Isn't blood. Isn't that thick? It's that thick. It's already coagulated by the time you get to it. Yeah, I'm a slow eater. That, that makes sense. I think to make it through not only this podcast, but especially The Exorcist, we're probably going to have a beer or two. And that's what we're going to do right now. The first beer of this episode is one that we brought back with us when it, uh, from our time in Portland visiting Jennifer and Nick. Uh, I'll go ahead and give a shout out to all of our awesome Patreon patrons. Thank you so much to Allison, Alan, Jesse, Catherine, Cliff, and Jennifer. You all are so awesome, awesome, awesome. And uh, we thank you so much for the support. If you want to be like them and support us, go to malthousegames.com slash, I guess no, malthousegames.com and you can find it or patreon.com slash malthousegames. That's what I should say. Uh, This is a beer from, I believe, Holy Mountain Brewing Company from Seattle, Washington. It is called The White Lodge. And it has an owl on it. And a a triangle and some symbols. Essentially, this is a straight-up reference to Twin Twin Peaks, Peaks, which is outside of Seattle. The owls are not what they appear. The owls are not what they appear. I think that's what, or owls are not as they seem, something like that. That was not as they seem, we, yes. We haven't finished the third season. Please, no spoilers, but... Uh, we, we know need, we're four years behind, but still. We need to watch it. The problem is it's on a service we don't have, so we need to pay for it, stream the entire series in a week, and then cancel. But this one is one Delton picked up, and it took us about a day to realize, oh, that's Twin Peaks. It just looked like a good beer, and then we made the connection, and we got real excited. Exactly. It's the White Lodge Belgian-style white ale, 4.8% alcohol by volume, with no other descriptors on the can, except for who it's brewed by, Holy Mountain. It is a nice, slightly hazy, pale yellow. It's almost like an electric pale. Yeah, there's like a little bit of vibrance in there. It looks like Pikachu. Kind of, not, not quite yellow. so yellow. A little bit of tartness in the smell. Mm. 
Mm. Coriander. There's a lot of coriander. A li- I feel like that's the thing, right? Belgian whites, coriander and orange peel are the flavors for Belgian whites. That's what you do. And this one feels like it's super heavy coriander, but I think it works well for it. This reminds me, we've been watching Great British Bake Off, and they had Spice Week last week and used a lot of coriander, so... They did. They really did. And cardamom. I will say this pairs well with the Series 6, Episode 3, Spice Week episode of Great British Bake Off. It's very good. It's very light. It's got nice carbonation, but it makes it feel very light, very foamy on finish. It's a really good beer. Like This is a summer beer for me. Mm. A summer beer for sure. Uh, Just very good. It's gentle. It's just refreshing. This is a very refreshing beer. So that's really good. So again, that's the White Lodge from Holy Mountain Brewing. Uh, in terms of what we're drinking out of here, Haley's drinking out of our BGG Con glass from several years back. Just a reminder, we will be going to BGG Con in Dallas this year. So if you're going, look for us there and come say hi. We got press badges. We do have media badges this time. Don't know that there's a lot of benefit to that, except for the fact that we finally are at a point where we can get those and feel sort of legitimate about it. But we're going to try to do some stuff. I'm not going to guarantee anything, but we're going to try to to do some stuff that's hopefully uh, interesting to listen to. Delton's basically going to give me some cliff notes and then deploy me to go make some connections. Basically. And then for those patron backers, patron backers, Patreon patrons, uh, I am working on getting the beer glasses all shipped out. Uh, Shipping is much more costly than expected, so I'm having to figure out a way to get that done uh, that's not going to break the bank and also can be easily traced and also safely delivered where I don't have broken glasses. We have about half of them delivered. So if you have not got yours yet, one, make sure you have sent us your address. And two, be patient. They're coming. They're coming slowly but surely. We'll get them there for sure. Before Christmas, definitely. (laughs) Hopefully before the end of November, but we will see. I think with that, though, is there anything else we needed to discuss the past two weeks? We've been doing some spooky stuff, Delty. It's been all spooky stuff. We went to the pumpkin patch last week. You want to tell them about our corn maze adventure? Uh, the corn maze was bad, and <laughs> we just made puns the whole time. And that was it. That was pretty much it. Haley's sister was not having a great time, so we decided to improve her time by saying puns of all different types relating to corn. And it worked well for us, not for her. It was an amazing experience. It really was. Delton made some corny jokes. As you stalked around behind us, trying to give us some kernels of wisdom. You had me cornered there for a little bit. Ah, shucks. <laughs> We can do this all day. We can do this all day. And Riley Riley literally cleared a path through the corn to get away from us and exit the corn maze. She didn't even she didn't even try it to the end. I mean, to be fair, it was not a great corn maze. It was not a great corn maze. It's built for children. It was a pumpkin patch. What do you what do you say? You know, what can you do? But we haven't done much else aside from that. We had a game night last night at Brian's house with some friends, which was a very fun time. We actually beat Mysterium for the first time in like forever, if we've ever beat it before. So that felt really nice. We played some Wavelength. We played some Quacks of Quedlinburg. Been watching a lot of horror movies. And I feel like just living life and trying to make time for all the fun stuff. And learning Japanese. Yes, starting on the journey, mainly Haley right now, of being ready to travel to Japan in three years. I can say I have a fluffy cat in Japanese. I'm not going to say it on this podcast right now because yeah. I still have the we make sure hick master accent it. Yeah, we got to master Japanese. it. The accent's tough. My friend understood me, though, and I said I had a fluffy cat. She understood. Though I do know I sound like an Oklahoman trying to speak Japanese. So I'm going to spare you guys. It's the effort that counts? It's the effort. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> fua, fua, neko. 
There you go. Fluffy Cat, we got it. Well, I think with that, we should move into the game and get this episode rolling. Oh, here's the door. It's straight ahead. It's... it's a game. Speaking of rolling, we got some eyeballs rolling around here. We do have eyeballs rolling around because the game for this episode is the new Patchwork Halloween Edition. I think this will be our first episode that repeats a game, but there's a reason, which I will get to right now. There's a method to the madness. There are different versions of Patchwork you can buy. There's Patchwork. There's the Winter Edition, which is just a Halloween, uh, uh, Christmas theme. There is the Americana Edition, which is a different theme. Which is America-themed. They have stuff like that. The Halloween Edition is Halloween-themed with eyeballs instead of buttons and spooky pumpkin patterns instead of, you know, I don't know, the hound's tooth, whatever. And it's really cute, adorable, awesome, perfect Halloween game. But the main reason I purchased this for Haley and I, mostly Haley, of course, even though I did beat her in our first game of it together. By a point. By a single point. That was uh, a nice change for me. Uh, the main reason I wanted to pick this one up is because this one has actually had changes made to the game. All the patchwork editions, aside from Doodle and Express, which I think Doodle's a writing game and Express is a fast version of patchwork, which makes no sense because we play it in like 12 minutes. Uh, so I don't know about that one, but in terms of these themed editions, this one is the first one that has changes made to the tiles. And so according to the rulebook here, I guess I'll say Patchwork's designed by Uva Rosenberg, graphic design by the Adelier 198, which I believe is a graphic design like group, uh, translation by Gregor Kobila, and then it is uh, produced by Lookout Spiele or Lookout Games. This has 14 patches that have been rebalanced by the programmer Tyson Stribe's AI for the Digidiced Patchwork app. The rebalanced patches are marked on the game with an asterisk. So uh, this Tyson Stribe has designed the AI system for the Patchwork game app on your phones. He said that allowed him to play, it was like 500 plus games, and keep statistics on if the winning player, like what was the first choice tile of the winning player every time. Uh, if the player took with this tile and this tile, like what's their percentage change? And there was a certain one that he referenced. You can find this on Board Game Geek and on the internet. There was one he referenced where it was if the first player in their very first tile were able to buy blank, their win percentage, like the first player has an automatic uh, win rate increase of a 55% chance of winning. If their first tile was whatever his example tile was, it shoots to 78%, which was wild to me. Uh, so he wanted to go in and make these changes and balance these tiles out to make the game more even and try to keep it more of a 50-50 chance so it does go more off your play, less off what you get. Um, for some of the examples on those tiles, there are... Actually, before I do that, Haley, do you want to explain how the game plays for those who haven't played Patchwork? We do have a previous episode where we go more into detail, but this is going to be more about the changes. So in the original game of Patchwork, you start off with buttons, and buttons are basically your currency. Uh, you start off with five buttons. You have to spend those buttons to buy quilt pieces to put on your board. So basically you're making a, a, a big Tetris. You're trying to buy as many pieces as you can to fill up the loom of your quilt. And so whenever you buy these pieces, they cost money. They cost buttons. They also cost time. So you might have a very extravagant piece that costs a little bit of money, but it's going to take you like six or seven time to do it. And so as you move around the board, you're moving by time. So let's say that Delton is seven spaces ahead of me. I can buy, you know, a piece 
that is worth eight time and pass him, or I can buy pieces like two twos and a four time. And so I can buy multiple pieces until I uh, catch up with him and pass him. I'm doing a really bad job of explaining this. (laughs) Essentially, they are tetromino pieces, so they're going to be like a plus sign. Tetromino. Imagine the pieces in Tetris and then make some more advanced and complicated pieces off of that. Uh, You're going to be purchasing those with buttons. If you purchase one, it takes so much time to sew it into your quilt. You move on the board based on that time until you pass the other person's piece. Then they get to either buy stuff or you can do what they call take buttons where you move your piece ahead of your opponent. However many spaces you moved plus the amount of buttons on the tiles on your quilt, you get that much buttons income to spend your next turn. Now, the difference between the original patchwork and the Halloween patchwork is instead of just sewing buttons on different kinds of quilt pieces, what you're doing is you're actually sewing the eyeballs of your enemy onto the clothing <laughs> Jesus, scraps of those you have dark. killed. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that got way dark for a second. But the good thing is you fill up your board quicker, and this one's a lot more yes. balanced. It's a lot more fair sewing the eyeballs of your enemy onto your quilt rather than the buttons of your grandma. So for an example... <laughs> of some of these changes <laughs> made to this game. Uh, it's basically Frankenstein. It's basically Frankenstein's quilt. Frankenstein's quilt. Frankenstein's quilt. So, uh, for example, I like the piece here. It's uh, it's essentially a plus sign, except on one end, the, the legs are a little longer, right? So there's a vertical and there's a horizontal, and let's say the horizontal is a little longer than the, than the vertical beam, right? That's a plus sign little piece. Uh, the original one cost one button to purchase, four time to place it, and it had one button income. The new one is one button to purchase, but now it is six time to place and still has one button income. One eyeball. One eyeball in terms of the new game. Which the currency exchange rate buttons to eyeballs is one for one. It is one for one, exact. In case you find yourself traveling. Yes, exactly. Is that why Caron demands the, the coins on the eyes? Because the eyes are bad? Yes. So he needs valid currency? He needs valid currency. Uh... So basically, there are small changes like that. There's one on here that was two two buttons and one time. Now it's three eyeballs in one time. One of these was three buttons six time. Now it's five eyeballs in six time. So they're small changes, but they're changes that are supposed to help balance the game out. Now, I've only played this version one time with Haley today before recording. I've played it nine. Haley has now played it nine times. Haley, in your experience now, how do you feel about these changes? Because I can't speak too much to that. So I played this with my sister, who is a huge patchwork fan. Uh, That was one of the first board games we introduced her to. And now whenever she comes over, I go out to Elk City to visit her. We have patchwork tournaments. So Riley literally, we sat down for three hours and played this game over and over and over and over and over again last Saturday. So things that we really like is, one, we like the spooky theme. I really like the eyeballs. I think they're cute. Uh, The different, uh, as component-wise, one... The patterns are so different, it's easier to tell pieces apart. And two, the pieces fit together a lot better than the original game. They snap in better. Uh, We also think it is a lot more balanced. We had, the very first time Riley and I played, we tied completely. Very first time Delton and I played, we uh, we were one point off. So I feel like it's a lot more balanced. And a lot of our our games that we played together were a lot closer. Because there have been games we played with the original patchwork where one person got like 34 and the other one got like negative 17. And we really didn't have that happen this much. It was a lot closer. Like we, maybe there was once where we had a 10 point difference, but otherwise we were pretty neck and neck. And so we also really like it because we both felt like our boards got a lot more full than usual. Because usually in the, in the regular patchwork, I feel like uh, a lot of time you might have, you know, 
14, 15, 16 empty spaces. Maybe it was just us. Maybe we would just suck. But with this one, we didn't have that many spaces left uncovered. There was one game we played. I think total, we had four pieces that were left unpurchased at the end of the game. We're able to fill our boards a lot better. So it feels a lot more balanced. It's a lot spookier. And the pieces fit a lot better. So I honestly think that I would be playing this one over the original one because of that. Something else I noticed about this version. In the original, there are patches on the scoreboard. Whenever you pass a patch on the old game, you take it and it fits a single one space on your quilt. And it can help you fit, you know, oh, you made a mistake and no tiles are going to fit here. You leave a weird space in the corner. You can fill that in. In this version, the patches are, are on spaces themselves rather than on the uh, like threshold between two spaces where you just cross over. Now you actually can land on that space. I don't know that they changed the number of spaces on the board as much as they might have just taken that line and put it before or after for the patch. I, I really don't know. But uh, I did notice that immediately and thought that was an interesting uh, change. I also think it makes the board easier to read, which is good. But I'm glad to hear that you liked it and you guys liked the change. I felt like some of the big pieces didn't feel... Um, I'm looking here at another picture, the same person. I'm looking at a picture of some of the tiles on Board Game Geek. They're posted by user Solvikaber, S-O-L-V-I-K-A-A-B-E-R. Uh, and it actually is a, a little thread that he posted or they posted about the patchwork tile changes for the Halloween game. And so like one of the tiles that we get a lot, it, it used to cost 10 buttons and four time, but it gave you three button income on it, which is good. The new one is 10 buttons, but it's only two time. So if you can afford it, that's going to move you less down the board, allowing you to buy something else. I think that is the big reason why we are seeing more tiles being bought, because these more expensive ones, almost all the ones that are more expensive, uh, their time has gone down. Or some of them, like that one, instead of eight and six, now it's seven and six. Just the cost went down a little. Uh, so I feel like that might be part of it, but I do really just like that because it makes those pieces, they don't feel as uh you know you can do more than one thing on your turn yes as long as you can afford it and if you can't it doesn't feel like ah i spent my whole turn and now i'm eight spaces ahead oh this is gonna take forever you know what i mean so i do like that they balanced it i like the changes i like the theme of it i just think that this is a if you're a patchwork fan and you play it often this is like a must and just like with the original game we got actual buttons to use as currency we need to get actual eyeballs for this one. Yeah, I need to find some really good. I thought about just getting two sizes of googly eyes. That would work. I mean, I, I was thinking, like, we have some enemies. No, but two sizes of googly eyes, or I'm sure somewhere online on Etsy, someone's got an awesome 3D printed eyeball sculpt, or someone makes some cool ones here eyeball or there. Eyeball marbles. I'm going to go look around online and see eyeball what I can marbles. find. Those would be hard to manage. Oh, they, they would be so much fun between turns. No, yeah, so much fun not trying not to lose and let the cat yes. get them. Terrible. But anyway, I really like the Halloween Patchwork Edition. I think the changes from my one play, I noticed a few of them. I think I'm glad to hear that you guys liked it after eight plays in a row. At least, uh, so honestly, we were drinking a little bit that night. We're having some Moscow Mules and watching Murder As one does. So I, I know it was at least eight. We might have played more than that. That's fine. We played a lot of Patchwork that night. Hey, that's okay. That's why we buy these games, right? Right. But yeah, so check that out if you want. Patchwork Halloween Edition. I know it's uh, on the internet, miniature market, and cool stuff, but of course, as always, ask your friendly local game store to get it in stock for you if you want to pick it up, and support them if you can. Before we move into the topic, uh, let's crack the second beer. This is from Prairie Artisan Ales here out of Oklahoma. This is Pumpkin Kerfuffle. 
It's a pumpkin uh, imperial sour beer with pumpkin pie spice blend and toasted marshmallow flavor. It is 8.2% alcohol by volume. And we have had this before, and it tastes like candy. It really does taste like candy. And it makes your mouth feel like you've been eating candy all but day. But I feel like most sours do. This one, t- I mean, it is a sour, but it's also very sweet. It's very pumpkin-y. Makes my inner basic girl happy. I think you got more, but I'll accept my fate. I just have more foam. Yeah, there's just foam. So this one is a very orange beer. It is a lot more orange in color. It's only slightly hazy. It's not super clear. And it smells like a freaking pumpkin pie. It smells like a sweet pumpkin pie. Like a very sweet pumpkin pie. It doesn't smell like beer. It smells like you are putting your face yeah. in a pumpkin pie. It's tart, pumpkin-y. That's, it's so weird. It tastes like if a pumpkin pie just had a shit ton of sugar. Like a shit ton of sugar and like was made with a little bit of cream cheese. But in a good way. It's like a it's like a pumpkin pie cheesecake. You know how cheesecake it's, has got like that sour tang mm-hmm. to it? It's the toasted marshmallow. It's so good. It is so good. You can only drink like one without having to, I don't know, take a nap because it's yeah, so full 8%. of alcohol and sugar. You're going to have like a 45 second sugar rush and then you're going to sleep for eight hours. But it's really good. It's not too carbonated. It's a little carby at the end, but it kind of... It's not flat like some sours. It's got carbonation, but I think it's just the right amount where it's a gentle, soft carbonation. It's not too harsh, not too bubbly, nothing like that. So I think that's really good. Uh, Yeah, I really like that Prairie Artisan Ales Pumpkin Kerfuffle. With that beer being cranked and now in our glasses, let's move to the topic. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. So the topic for today, we wanted to discuss a little bit rebalancing games. Because with this new Patchwork Halloween edition, it's all about tiles being rebalanced and being changed to make the game more even, more fun. Uh, just, you know, uh, have an easier time where someone doesn't have just a an advantage because of one thing they did. Right? This is going to be a lot of Delton telling me about things have been rebalanced because Delton knows a lot more about this topic than I do. I don't know a lot about rebalance, though. Like, that's the thing, right? Board games generally don't have that happen. Now, if you get games like Twilight Imperium. Yeah. They're on the fourth edition. That's because every edition, they're balancing things and changing things and balancing things and changing things. And they're trying to make the game better and better every time, which is why everybody I've ever spoken to says the fourth edition is the best. But the third edition is the one I've undefeated in the third edition also has the expansions that you can't get they haven't redone those so there's that but rebalancing is one of those weird things because people like games patchwork is obviously the game that gets a crap ton of plays it's very highly liked everybody knows that it's a good game i feel like i mean obviously if you dislike it that's just fine it's a valid you know uh, a valid uh point of view but it's one of those games that majority of people enjoy so to go in and change it up, change up the formula people like is kind of a strange thing because normally when I think of rebalancing, it's because something's wrong. I think more on the lines of League of Legends and video games because that was the first game that truly showed me that they're constantly tweaking and changing because we would be playing a game. Oh, this and that. This character's no good. That character sucks. Blah, blah, blah. This character's so broken, no one can beat him. And then the next patch comes out and the broken character's been nerfed and all their damage is down, and the character that we thought sucked and no one could use, they've now given them stuff to where now they're viable, and they're part of the meta again. So rebalancing in video games obviously is a very different talk than board games, but it's kind of the same lines of you want an even, fair, fun game. Even if 
one side is playing differently than the other, something like Android Netrunner, an asymmetrical game where each opponent is completely different in terms of the way they play, even with that, you want the game to be fun. You want the game to be where each player can play to their strengths, play against the opponent's weaknesses, and hopefully come out on top, but you want it to be a fair fight. So I feel like rebalancing is something that isn't a bad thing. I think it's a good thing to look at, but the here's the hard part, is the reason that Patchwork Halloween Edition was rebalanced is because that AI's programmer was able to then look and log like 500 plus games and actually analyze and keep statistics and have all of that data from running it as a computer simulation or playing against it or whatever. That makes it really difficult because most people, I mean, heck, even board game companies, when they're playtesting their games, I mean, how many playtests does, does a game really get? I've heard of playtests, I'm like, oh, this is playtested over 500 times. That's not a lot. In the grand scope of things, if that game sells a thousand copies and plays one time, that's now more than you playtested it. So it's really hard to determine things that could need rebalance. And part of that just comes down to, I think, the amount of time needed for a game to go from design to published. You've got to have playtests, but you can't just do that forever. You can't spend three years playtesting constantly and be like, ah, oh, we've got 3,000 plays under our belt. This game is solid. You know, if you do that, you've wasted so much time that could be having the game out getting sold. And then if there's issues, you release an expansion that fixes it. You re release errata for some cards, you know? So that's kind of a hard line there, I feel like, for publishers. Yeah, so like you, you want to play test enough where it's doable, but it's hard to really get things balanced sometimes, which is why you release second editions, third editions, or expansions. You know, but for those like smaller game companies or those indie games or those Kickstarters, that can be very difficult, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. Kickstarter is one of the toughest. That's one thing I liked about. So we got PAX Pamir. We've talked about a lot because it's a phenomenal game, in my opinion. Uh, they released a pack of errata cards that I paid the $5 for during one of their second run. Like, I think it was the second run of PAX Pamir because the first one had a couple issues. Well, then I found out on those errata cards, there's a couple issues in the graphic design department where they just forgot to do blank. And like, it's not really noticeable unless you're paying attention, but I haven't, I don't think I've put those cards in. I need to, um, I haven't gone through and swapped them out, but that's something that they did. Right. Well, then I backed, you know, John company. I think it was the beginning of this year, like January or February, which is Cole Worley's game. And it's the new version where they've gone through and revamped and changed up gameplay. And he's adapting that game to be better. They're also publishing, PAX Pamir with any fixes and changes in errata. So they're constantly doing that, but also they've got a game like PAX Pamir that is, even if you don't like that style of game, it's well-produced, it's well-designed, it's very fun, and the people who love it, like me, really love it, and if they came out down the line like, hey, this is the final version, we've got everything fixed, we're not going to make any more changes ever, I'm tempted to purchase that final version, because then it would be all the fixes, all the changes, and I would have, you know, the de facto version of the game also the cat had spilled some water on some of the cards so steve did they were single sleeved so it helped but now they are all double sleeved which is why it barely fits in the box uh, i somehow have to fit my metal coins in there for it i haven't even attempted that yet and again i haven't made the card swaps it's a disaster but i'm fine with card with games doing multiple editions making errata changes balancing i think it's a i think it's a smart thing to do i just think it is very difficult because you either have to play it the right way or you have to play it so many times. It kind of leads me to think of, so we've talked about this with Call to Adventure that we played, uh, and we talked about it, I think recently, because we played Call to Adventure again with Brian, where the rules just aren't, 
there's timing issues and the rules just aren't as well fleshed out as we want them to be. And some of that comes down to when you're playtesting, if the questions aren't being asked by the players, you're not going to know to fix it. But if you haven't playtested enough times, there's questions that potentially are still unanswered that might not come up till later in a published game. Which is why I appreciate uh, the designers going on BGG all the time. Like not, yes. not necessarily that game, but in, desi- general. in general, designers coming on, making clarifications on the rules. That's very helpful. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's something too, like uh, whenever we got Adventure Mart, we had a few questions. The FAQ in the book answered some of those. Other ones I reached out to Michael, one of the designers, asked him about it. Sweet boy, um, Michael. Sweet boy, Michael. I got to, uh, I guess he's a producer. Yes, I believe he's a producer because it was Digisprite was, I believe, the design team. Could be wrong there. It's been a second. But, uh, and he was like, oh, cool. We'll make sure these get put in the rule book next time for our next printing. And so even that is making changes based on feedback, right? Mm-hmm. It's not playtesting, but almost kind of thing. Um, so I think, I think errata and adaptations and changes and you know fixing things to balance is good i think it's a smart thing to do and if it's a game people like and buy and you make changes in a new edition i think that there's a very high chance people like me are going to say i want that because you've done the work you've put in this effort i'm going to reward that because it rewards me with a better game so i want to end this topic with one question for you okay what is a game that you wish could be balanced more a game I wished could be balanced more? Whether that is through a new edition, through an expansion, what game needs to be balanced? That is a really, really, really tough question to answer because balancing, oh, that's hard. Honestly, this comes down to also that the the theme needs to be changed uh, because obviously it's a problematic theme now. Uh, not now. It's been a problematic theme. It's been pointed out more recently in the current years. New edition came out didn't change any of that, still problematic in ways, and then, you know, stuff like that. But I think Puerto Rico. Yeah. And I think here's why I want rebalance, just for a real short one. There are Puerto Rico tournaments. In those Puerto Rico tournaments and Puerto Rico strategy, there is a prime first turn. If you you want to be seated here, and this is the play that you want to make, this is the thing you want to do on your first turn. That to me says there's a problem now because that game is not equal. Because if you don't take that, that's suboptimal, you want everything to be viable for the most part, right? You want multiple options. You don't want the one person taking that choice to immediately have an advantage toward winning the hour and a half game just because of where they were seated. So I think that that could be done if they took Puerto Rico and somehow balance things out a little bit and also, you know, shift that theme around to just make it play happy would be nice. Mm-hmm. But that that's going to be my easy answer because it's staring at me on the shelf over there, my old copy from Rio Grande. It's so uncomfortable to play. It's a phenomenal game. It, it just it, it needs a little changes, and it is. It's, it's a problematic theme, and the more that we get into board gaming discussing problematic themes, things like that, of course, that comes we, more to light. We really haven't touched it in like four years now. I would like to play it again. Uh, but it is one of those things where it's like, man, they really got to change this at some point. But we have an old copy. The new copy did improve, not greatly. It did improve a little bit, but that's for another day and another topic again. With balancing being talked about and all this stuff, it is a spoopy Halloween time today for this episode release, and trick-or-treaters come tonight for us on the 30th, the day before Halloween. Because Edmund is too suburban to have trick-or-treaters on the Lord's Day. So let's talk a little bit about Halloween real quick. And now, join us for a Malt House Games podcast special, Bite Size Question. 
So, the question of today's episode is, what is your favorite Halloween story? I don't know that I really have a favorite Halloween story, but I'll give two short ones. All right. Our first Halloween party together where we dressed as Germans was Mm -hmm. just fun, and it was our first Halloween party together. That was just a good time. So I liked that. Uh, Oh, shoot, I said give three. I also dressed up one time as Jesus, and I showed up to class 30 minutes late (laughs) in college. It was in my intro to psych class. I walked in. I said, I have arrived with my arms out. Didn't you come in late? I came in like 30 minutes late to my hour-long class. Oh, my God. Uh, One person in the crowds went, wow, like not happy. And my teacher laughed. Take your seat. And I sat down, and I got bonus points because it was bonus points if you show up in outfit, but I was way behind. Uh, But in terms of like a real story, and this is fun, if you go on the internet, I've talked about before, I'm from Geary, Oklahoma. There was an old couple in Geary that lived over by the elementary school that used to hand out full-size candy bars uh, if you knew them. I'd be like, hey, my mom, you know, Tammy and my dad, Larry, say hi. Just name dropping your parents for candy. And then they would go to their fridge and you'd get a full-size, like king-size candy bar. Not even full-size, like king-size, massive candy. You'd get a full candy. But they would take pictures with all the kids on Halloween. That was just what you do. We're in a small town of 1,200 people. Everybody knows everybody. Uh, they did a news story. She passed away however many years ago, but they did a news story back, I don't know how many years back. It was they, like 96, 97. Was it in the late 90s? It was, is this the great state or what? That's what it was. And uh, they go to her house and she's just got photo album upon photo album of pictures with all the kids and the different generations of families that she's trick-or-treated and given candy to throughout all the years. So that's just neat knowing that like somewhere in that house I'm in a book a couple times is just it's neat and it's just nice to be like, there's people out there that are just sweet people that just want to, you know, give kids things. I don't know. It was just a nice little story to see on the internet pop up here and there. Yeah. What about yours? So I think my favorite Halloween story definitely has to be the Halloween that Jim, Wynn and Cody got together. Yeah. So here in about four minutes, Jim, Wynn and Cody are supposed to arrive. So we got to wrap this bad boy up, but it was, what was it? Six years ago. Is that right? Six years ago, five, six years ago. I think so. Uh, we had a Halloween party, and Cody and Delton dressed up as the Grady twins from The Shining. Yep. Looked very attractive. Delton was very, Delton I was filled his dress very well. Busty bearded and beautiful. Busty bearded and beautiful. And I had been trying so hard for so long to get Cody and Jim Wynn together. I planted all these seeds because Jim Wynn was my classmate in grad school. Cody was my coworker at Midverse Bank. And then we got them together at the house. My friend Zach was like, hey, Cody, Jim Wynn's single. You guys should date. And then Cody asked for her number. I was like, God dang it. I was supposed to get them together. I've been laying these seeds for forever. And so they got together that night. They're married now. I officiated their wedding in a gorilla wedding uh, that was a backyard barbecue turned uh, engagement party turned wedding. And then that was also the night that Delton peed on his dress. That was one of my favorite Halloween nights ever. I also dressed in a full bodysuit as this little creature and just snuck up on people all night dancing like a noodle. So You did. I think I was the only sober one that night, too, because I had, like, one beer. Probably so. I wasn't. I went to bed at, like, 10.30. You did, because you peed on your dress. Yeah. And I walked and, in, and, and Delton's, like, spread eagle on the bed. His wig's crooked, and he's like, I threw up, and I peed on my dress. Yeah, that was a good night. It was a great night. But that was one of my favorite Halloweens ever, because love was in the air, and Delton was in a dress. It was a good night. I think, yeah. I think with that being said, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you again to our Patreon patrons. Thank you so much. Listeners, for tuning in and listening listening to us every other week. My goodness, I can't speak today. Hope everybody has a very safe and very happy, happy Halloween. Eat lots of candy, dress up, watch scary movies, 
Have a good time at Halloween. If you have any questions, concerns, comments, games you want us to look at, topics for us to cover, questions for us to answer, beers you want us to try to find, send an email, contact at malthousegames.com. Don't forget to head to shop.malthousegames.com if you want to pick up a t-shirt, a beer glass that's not one of the special 100th episode, a fanny pack, anything like that. You can find all that there. They print on demand, so I don't have to keep stock in my house, and it makes it easy for me. So if you want any of that, go check that out. You can follow us on social media at Malthouse Games. You can find me at Delton Brack, D-E-L-T-O-N-B-R-A-C-K. You can find Haley at S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-Y-G-E-E-K. That is at Squirrely Geek. I think that's everything. Cody and Jenwin are on the way. We got to put the cats up because they're bringing their dog, Remy, to play with Margie. In a taco suit. In a taco suit. It is a doggy play date. So we're going to wrap this up. Thank you again so much for tuning in to episode 104 of the Malthouse Games podcast. Until next time, sit back, relax, grab a drink, and play some games. We'll see you folks later. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.